morning. This morning, I think what we're going to do is we're going to consider a sad topic. I think the subject that we're going to deal with this morning is quite upsetting. It's a sad uh, subject to deal with because this morning what we're going to do is we're going to consider professing believers and them denying the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm sure you see the idea. Uh, People like yourself and myself, uh, either in through our silence, but I think much more likely in conversation, actually point blank uh, denying, refusing our allegiance to Jesus, denying denying that we are Christians at all. That's our subject this morning, the denying of the Lord Jesus Christ by his people. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary defines denying like this. It says denial is refuting the truth of or the existence of or, listen, refuting our allegiance to someone or something. So how do you respond to that? Like in light of that, what are you thinking just now if you're a Christian here? Are you thinking, to be honest, I, this subject doesn't sound like it's going to be relevant to me at all. Denying Jesus, you love Jesus, right? In fact, could it not be said of you that you actually really want conversations about Jesus, don't you? So this idea that, you know, distancing ourselves from Jesus, verbally disowning Christ. You start saying to me, that's a million miles away from my experience. That's a million miles. That is not relevant to me at all. Is that what you would say? If so, let me give you two things before we get cracking. Let me give me two introductory details. First of all, let me say this. See the portion of scripture we're dealing with. It's about denial. Understand that it is not just recorded in Mark's gospel. It's not just recorded in the synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke. See what we're dealing with, a portion of scripture about denial. It's one of those sort of few and precious portions of scripture that the Holy Spirit is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Now you think about that for a moment. Portion of scripture about denial in all four of the gospels. Do you see what that means? God clearly wants his people, he wants you and I to take this seriously. He wants us to see, to think about the dangers, the temptations of denial. It's recorded in all four of the gospels. So that's your first introductory detail. Second one is this. I want you to think about just who it is who denies Jesus. Let me turn to the boys and girls. Boys and girls, there's few of you here today. So so basically the spotlight falls on you. So you're going to have to be alert. And I've got a few questions throughout the sermon for you, boys and girls. Okay, so you have to shout out the answers. I thought I would begin with the easiest question of them all. Okay, so here's the easy one. Who is it that denies Jesus in the portion of scripture that Mr. Amarim read earlier on? Who denies Jesus. Peter declared loudly from the front here. Who's Peter? Who's Peter? Would you, how you could answer that? What would you, he's, he's a disciple? Is he almost more than that? 
Like Peter was one of the inner circle of three, wasn't he? Like he's one who, do you remember the earlier reading? He was one who was present in Gethsemane. He's somebody who's witnessed the transfiguration. Now Peter was the one chosen by God to make that great confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about the earlier reading. Are you saying to me this is not relevant? Think about the earlier reading. Who's Peter? Peter is someone just a few moments ago, a few hours ago, thought the idea that he would deny Jesus was ludicrous. A few hours ago, he was thinking, I would never do this. Deny Jesus, I'm beyond that. I would never do that. It's laughable, it's ridiculous. Do you see it? This is for us. This is relevant for us. Let me say that there is not one believer in this room just now. No matter how long you've been a Christian, not one believer who is above or beyond the danger, the temptation in conversation to deny Jesus as Lord. This is for you. This is for me. Now, let me talk about method just for a second. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this portion of Scripture. It's quite a short portion of Scripture, six, seven verses. We're going to look at it under three titles or three headings. Now, you can see why we do that, do you? That we do it this way to help us to, yeah, to dig deeper into the text, but also so that we can highlight some of the, the, the key points that God is making here. So there's sort of three ideas. Let me, let's just, let's start. Let's, let's look at the first one. First of all, let's consider the usual causes of denial. Now, do you see the logic? If we're saying that this is a danger and a temptation for the people of God, what would lead you or me to face the danger of denying Jesus? What would cause that in your life or in my life? You understand? Okay, let's get cracking. Now, straight off the bat in the text, I wonder if you've noticed that there are two trials that are happening simultaneously. In Mark chapter 14. Now, did you see that? There's two trials happening at the same time. Now, just come on, wrestle with that a second with me. Now, think about the background. What's happened? Do you remember Jesus was seized and he was arrested? Do you remember he was dragged off into the high priest's residence? Where is he just now? The Lord Jesus. He's in one of the upper rooms and he's facing a sort of questioning and interrogation by the Sanhedrin. Right, that's happening upstairs. What else has happened at the same time? Same time, what, what, come on, what's happened? Peter fled. But what we learn elsewhere, he's, he's followed that crowd that have taken Jesus. He's kind of snuck into the high priest residence. And so while Jesus is upstairs, he's been, what's happening downstairs in the courtyard? Peter too has been interrogated. Isn't he? Do you see it? He too is being questioned. So you have got Jesus, Peter. You've got two trials and they're happening at the same time. They're happening concurrently. Yes? They're happening simultaneously. Now, I think we learn an awful lot about what leads to Peter's horrendous fall here. We learn a lot by just who it is that questions him. Who asks questions. So, uh, you can see, can you, if you follow the text, that there's kind of two factions that question Peter. There's two sort of groups. So let's think about the first of them. I'm going to return to the boys and girls again. So no worksheets. Listen. <laughs> Listen or there's trouble. Okay, so right at the start 
of this portion of scripture, we are told of somebody who asks Peter or accuses Peter of following Jesus. Now it's in verse 66, so maybe your mums, your dads, or people round about you can help you to find it. Who's the first person to accuse Peter of following Jesus? Shout it out. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Okay, you're going to have to be quick to beat Colin, boys and girls. Okay, you have to be quick. Uh, so it's, who did he say? He said, a servant girl. And do you not agree that even that is worthy of note? Like it's not a burly Roman guard's interrogation of Peter that leads to this catastrophe, is it? Like it's not a sort of cross-examination by one of the Sadducees, the Pharisees who come down the stairs. It's not like that. It's not that intimidating thing. Who is it? It's a lassie. Like it's quite young. Lassie with a fairly innocuous question and even that is enough to see a man like Peter capitulate. Isn't there something there? But maybe we should give Peter a little bit more credit because whose servant eh, did Colin say she was? She is whose servant? She's the high priest's. She's the high priest's servant. So I'm asking you, do you see why it is then that Peter kind of denies Jesus to, to this group? Do you see what it's about? He is, he's scared. Isn't he? Like, he is in enemy territory. He's not supposed to be in the high priest's residence here. He's kind of snuck in and, 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 and he's scared. He's scared that she's going to recognize him. Oh no, and is she going to go and tell her superiors? Is she going to go and tell the high priest? Is he like Jesus going to be seized? Is he going to be captured? Do you see, he's, he's frightened here. What is this? Isn't it self-preservation? There's a choice Peter faces in the moment. It's allegiance to Jesus or it's looking after himself. And what does he choose? What does he choose? He chooses himself. It's self-preservation. Do you understand? You've got, who's the first questioner? You've got the, the servant of the high priest. I said two groups, factions, didn't I? Would you do this with me? Would you look to verse 70 to see who else questions Peter? Look at verse 70. We're told after a little while, and having had, you know, the, the servant draw their attention to, who is it? The, what's the ESV? The, the bystanders. The by, who are bystanders in this? What, what does that mean? It's holiday time, as we can tell. Um, I don't know if you've had a summer holiday. If you, can, you, you can have. I know some people are planning to go away later on in the year, but um, I don't know. Maybe you had an exotic summer holiday this year. Maybe some of you went to Greece or Spain. If you did, you'll know how houses and homes are constructed in that part of the world, in the Mediterranean. I think we probably all know that in that part of the world, I mean, let's say in North Africa, Spain, a lot of the houses are constructed around an interior courtyard. Can you all picture that? Like, we all know that, don't we? This sort of interior open space in a, a courtyard. Well, I'm pretty sure we all understand that that's maybe what it would have been like in Mark 14 in this high priest's house, this interior courtyard. But here's the thing. Peter is not in that interior courtyard 
alone. Is he? Now you'll say to me, of course, the servant girl is there, but I need you to appreciate that actually there's a bit more of a hustle and bustle in that interior courtyard. Do you understand what I mean? Like there would have been many more of the servants who have been awoken because of this meeting taking place and they're all buzzing about in that interior courtyard. And then you think about the fact that there was 70 members of the Sanhedrin who have just arrived. And you can imagine some of them have taken their attendants and some of their servants. And the picture you've got is Peter, we're told, sitting with these people. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? He's sitting there with this hustle and bustle, the crowd, and some of them are telling stories, and, and some of them are maybe just having a laugh. You, you see, it's quite busy, and, and what happens? All of a sudden, it's quite dramatic, it's quite immediate, all of a sudden, see their attention, it all turns to Peter. Like all of these people, these bystanders, they, they look to Peter. Their attention is drawn to Peter. The spotlight zooms on to Peter. And they say, hang on, mate. You're not one of us. You're not one of us. You're not a servant. You're not, you're not, we, we can tell by your accent who you are. You're a Galilean. And they say, look, are you not a follower of that man upstairs? Are you not a follower of Jesus? Friends, do you see why Peter's under pressure? Do you see why he denies Christ to this group? What is it? He wants to be accepted by the crowd. Like he doesn't want to stand out here. Like he doesn't want to be isolated in this courtyard. He just wants to fit in with these people. Oh, please let me just, just blend in with these people. He wants to be accepted by these bystanders. One commentator, now listen to this if nothing else. One commentator sums it all up like this. He says, Peter denies Jesus both out of an anxiety for his own safety, but also out of a determination to seek the approval of the crowd. And do you not agree with me that that is most pertinent and most relevant to us as Christians In here today. Friends, can I say to you, and please hear it, that the conditions are most suited to your denial of Jesus Christ when you are trying to seek the acceptance of men. That's what it's about. We are most likely to deny deny Jesus when we are trying to win the approval of the people around us. Isn't that right? You can maybe see how that's like with the children. They begin in a new school. Or the young people and the students, they begin in a new city. Or any one of us, we're beginning in a new setting. What's the temptation there? There's all these new people and potentially we're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be harassed if we say that we're Christians. What do we do when asked? We, we, we deny it. We entirely distance our, our, our ourselves from it. Do, do you see? Now I'm asking you, come on, let's think practically. How do we avoid that similar catastrophe? Well, I want you to see that it's about preparation. Because what's the mistake that Peter has just made? Think, we just read Gethsemane. He's supposed to be praying, was he not? He was supposed to be alert. He was supposed to be praying about the coming days. And what did he do? He slept. He's supposed to be praying. He slept and he goes on to dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there not a lesson there for you, for me? Friends, we this morning have to realize how weak, how vulnerable we are as Christians. And we have to cry out to God in preparation, in prayer, Lord, help us. 
not to do this. Help us to stand firm and stand firm in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the usual causes. What, what causes it? What causes denials? Self-preservation and a desire to be accepted by our peers. Okay, right, let's move on. Second of all, let's consider uh, some dreadful accompaniments to denial. So what on earth does that mean? Well, here what I want to do in this second point is look at two things, two aspects that usually go alongside a Christian's denial of Christ. So two things that kind of go hand in hand. If you see, if we see a person denying Jesus Christ, two accompaniments. And for the first, we've got to go uh, back to this servant girl. So I'll tell you what, let me uh, go back to the boys and girls as well. Okay. So if any of the children are sleeping, give them a nudge. Waking them up. Okay, boys and girls, when you think about the Middle East, okay, when you think about Jerusalem in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, what sort of weather do you think about? So if you think about, I know some of you use a story Bible at home. Think about the pictures in the storybook Bible. What sort of weather do you normally, is it snowing? (laughs) No, it's not snowing, is it? No, it's not. Good. Is it raining? No, very rarely is it raining. What sort of weather do you associate? Hot, sunny, brilliant. That's how I think about it as well. When we think about Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. Friends, I want you to understand it's not really like that in Mark 14. Not in this scene that you've got in front of you. Like this, when does this take place? It takes place at uh, the feast that takes place at the Passover is a time where Jerusalem can get really quite bitterly cold. And then what's the obvious thing to say about it as well? When does this take place? It takes place in the middle of the night, doesn't it? So it's dark and it's, it's dark and it's cold. So the scene that we've got to have is this servant girl. Do you see her? She's in the court. She's peering into the darkness, isn't she? And what does she see? She sees Peter's face illuminated by this fire that the people have got going. And she, wait a minute. She recognizes him and she accuses him of, of following Jesus. You, you follow? Do you see the scene now? Cold, dark. But it's the next detail in the text that I think is utterly key. So would you look at it with me? It's verse 68. Really important that we get this. Verse 68. So the servant girl questions Peter. How does Peter react? So how would you answer that? How does Peter react to the question? You'd say to me, I think, that he denies the question. Right? In fact, it's really quite categorical, isn't it? He's, what are you talking about? I don't even understand the question. I don't know what you're talking about. So he denies the question, what does he do? Look at it. What does he do? He moves away. Look at the ESV. After denying Jesus, what does Peter do? He went out into the gateway. So did you see he's backing out there? He, he, he denies Jesus, but he backs out towards the forecourt and he's moving now towards the street. And, and, and are you with me? I say to you, that is such a meaningful, symbolic detail. Do you, do you not? Who's he backing away from? You see the servant girl, do you? You see the bystanders, the crowd. Who's he moving away from there? His Lord. 
Isn't that what's happening here? You have a picture of a disciple almost very literally backsliding from the Lord Jesus Christ before you here. And isn't there, don't you think, isn't there a truth in that for us? Friends, listen, denial of Jesus very often goes in hand, hand in hand with a retreat, a retreat from Jesus. Do you understand? A disowning of Jesus. Yes, it is a symptom of spiritual decline, but it's also so often it's a precursor to further decline. You see, denials, decline, it's together, it's one package. And if, if you want proof of that, think of what occurs. Because he backs out. He backs away. The rooster crows for the first time. How does he respond? He doesn't even notice. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, Jesus, Jesus just a few hours ago had made that detailed, specific prediction about the rooster. And Peter here, he's denied Jesus. He's so spiritually desensitized, so spiritually numb. He doesn't even, it doesn't even register with him. Do you see denials and spiritual decline? They go hand in hand. We have to take it seriously. So we said two things, didn't we, that are going to accompany denials. That's one, decline. What's the other one? What's the other one? Well, this is the last time I think I'm going to come to the boys and girls. Maybe you're wondering, why am I coming back to the boys and girls with so many questions? It's because they are part of this congregation as much as anyone is. They are part of the community, the covenant community of God. So you're ready, boys and girls. Right, I'm going to return to an easy question. Okay, so I want to hear the answer to an easy question. So Peter, you got it right. Peter has denied Jesus. You ready for it? Shout it out. How many times? Oh, wrong and right. It could have been how many times does the rooster crow? See, you've got to wait for the answer to the question first. How many times d- does Peter deny Jesus? You got it? What did you say? Three. Three times. Friends, Scripture goes to great lengths. God goes to great lengths to show you how those three denials increase in severity and fervency. Did you hear that? God goes to great lengths to show you that each of the denials gets, it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. What was the first one? To the servant girl, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even understand the question. Right, do this with me. Look at the second denial. I'm saying it gets worse. Have a look at verse 70. What's the second denial? Please look at the text. Verse 70. All we're told is, again, he denied it. So maybe you're saying to me, but Andy, that just sounds like the same thing, man. All it says is, again, he denied it. Does it just sound like the same as the first? Think about it. Not only this time is it a public denial. The last one was in a private conversation with the girl. This time, it's to anyone who will listen. It's to all the bystanders, all the crowd. I don't know Jesus. Not only that, get this. The tense in the text is very different. This time, Mark is telling us that Peter goes off on one. 
Like he goes this time, this second time, he goes to town denying Jesus. He's just rolling his mouth off. I, I don't know him. I know nothing about him. He goes on and goes on and goes on. I, I know nothing about Jesus. You see how much worse it is? And that's appalling. And it breaks our heart. But look at the third one. Look at verse 71. We're told that the third time he begins to call down curses. Like, do you understand what that means? Like, he is beginning to swear. And I'll suggest this. Perhaps even swear to God that he does not know Jesus. That he does not know his his saviour. Do you see the denials? They get worse and they get worse and they get worse. Isn't that a lesson for you? Isn't that a lesson for me? Shouldn't we be cautious about all of this? Because yes, decline comes with us, but so do further, more fervent denials. We deny Jesus. It's only going to get worse for us. And again, you know what that's like. You know, we start off as Christians and we're in the workplace and we're amongst our friends and we maybe just don't say anything about our faith. Where does that often lead? Often leads to the fact that we also stay silent when people are mocking Christianity and mocking Jesus around us. At the workplace and amongst our friends, right? Where does that very often lead? That when they turn and say, you're not, you don't go to church, do you? Again, no. Where does that denial lead? We can end up here. We honestly can, friends. Do not think that you're above this. We can end up saying under pressure, we can say, actually, no, no, I, I, I'm not a Christian. I, I'm not a Christian. Like, do, you, do you see how serious this is? Do you see how weighty this is? We have to look at these accompaniments to denial, and we have to pay heed. So we've seen causes and accompaniments, and we end with the inevitable cries after denial. Man, I said uh, at the start that I thought this section of scripture was heavy going, you know. And I said that it was it's sad. The ending of the portion of scripture is genuinely affecting, I think, isn't it? And it's genuinely it's genuinely upsetting. Now, you follow me, don't you, that he has denied Jesus three times to the girl, to the bystanders. Then what happens? He hears the rooster crow for the second time. And all of a sudden, and, and, and there's immediacy here in the darkness. He remembers. Like as he's backing out, you know, right at the forecourt, perhaps right at the street. Now he, he remembers what Jesus had said in Gethsemane just, just a few moments ago. He remembers that every detail here was predicted by the Lord. And he realizes what he's done. Like he does, he realizes how far he has just fallen. He realizes just how much he has dishonored. The one he loves and he genuinely loves Jesus and he realizes he has disowned him and isn't that last phrase, look at the last phrase, isn't that heartbreaking stuff? Because we're told that Peter breaks down and he weeps and get this, that doesn't capture it. 
Because I'm telling you, like in the, in the language there, there's momentum with Peter. There's real energy that he's backing out here and he's casting himself down to the ground in anguish. He's thrown himself down. And it's regret. It is remorse. It is repentance. I wonder... I wonder if that is your very experience at London City Presbyterian Church this morning. I wonder, quite bluntly, whether you have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that expression that we sometimes use, not living for Christ? Is that just nowhere near the sorry state of your Christian walk just now? Friends, have you not just been silent amongst your friends, but have you actually been joining in with the ridiculing of the church, the ridiculing of Christianity? Have you denied Jesus, the Son of God, and now, just now, the weight of that is there? The conviction of sin is God addressing you. Well, I, I honestly can say that I have wonderful news for you this morning. Listen. Your God, as a Christian, is a God of grace. Listen to these words. There is forgiveness for even that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because wait a minute, what happens with Peter? Is this it for Peter? Is this his salvation finished? Is he just another Judas destined to eternal damnation? Is that it? You know it's not. This is Peter. What is going to happen in Mark 16? I love this. I really do. In Mark 16, Lord Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. And he will defeat sin. He will defeat Satan. He will defeat death. And you know as well as I do that an angel appears. And the angel speaks to Mary. What does the angel say to Mary? The angel does not say to Mary, Mary... Go and make sure that you tell the disciples that Jesus is going on ahead of them to Galilee. That's not what the angel says. The angel says, Mary, Mary, please ensure you tell the disciples, but you make sure you tell Peter. Tell Peter that his Lord, that his Savior, that he is going ahead of him into Galilee. Do you see, even after a catastrophe, catastrophic mistake like this, God singles out Peter for reassurance of salvation. And we say, Lord, how can you do that? How can you forgive this? But we know the answer. Because we saw it at the start of the sermon. It was because there were two trials happening. Do you understand that at the same time as man is failing here, Christ is being victorious upstairs. You understand? It's all about what Christ has done for his pull. That as Peter enjoys the comfort of the fire in the courtyard, what's happening? Our Lord facing the discomfort of abuse and beatings by the Sanhedrin upstairs. As Peter is downstairs running his mouth off, denying Jesus what is happening upstairs, our Lord is silent before his accusers. As Peter in the courtyard swears an oath not to know Jesus, what's happening upstairs? Jesus is swearing on oath to be the one, the only, the very son 
of Almighty God here to atone for sin. It is in Christ's completed and finished work that we can be forgiven for our sin. So I'll end. And I'll tell you how to do it. I end just by looking for agreement from the children of God here. Isn't God's grace the most beautiful and most spectacular thing? Like, think of it. Our sin, our wickedness, this is us. We are forgiven in Christ Jesus today. And what happens tomorrow? What happens? Come on, what happens on the day of judgment, that final day? The day of Christ Jesus. What happens to us? The Father will look to the Son. And he will ask of you, do you know them? Do you know that person? Do you know him? Do you know her? And what will Christ Jesus do? He will not deny you. He will never, ever disown those he has won by his work, those he has saved by grace. So surely, this is what we do. Surely just now we seize this awesome opportunity that we are being given as the church. Now don't we just turn away from the silence? Don't we turn away from the shame that we have about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And don't we go into London? What do we do? We stand tall. We stand proud. And we say, yes, yes. I am with all of my heart and being. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's pray.